My hope is that BC and Ontario takes the butt kicking. Whoa, whoa, whoa. China and Russia were trying to come together and effectively form their own currency. We need to manufacture in North America. Honestly, oh honestly, my gosh, man, it's honestly, been a little while honestly, since, since I got a Trump <laughs> reference. I'm happy about that, Neil. It just skews the numbers and, and no one pays attention to that. People are like, well, I hear houses in, in Canada are down 18%, so I should be able to get this home for discounts. Like, no, here last week, 45% of homes in Halifax sold over ass. More single women own homes mm -hmm. than single men. Women tend to oh, we are playing with fire here when, when, when I was broke I had rich habits uh. when I was broke I had rich habits uh. welcome to the master keys podcast we're back yeah. we apologize for missing a week today's episode is gonna be great because we're all fired up because we missed a week so we're rejuvenated and ready to chat yeah, and I think we're kind of finding our our legs a little bit with a few different subjects um you know, we're now effectively two months into the year, which is crazy to say that already. Um, oh. It's just flying by. So I think we can start to get a sense of, you know, what's going on with, with the markets, what might be happening in, in the rates, because we've had this idea of, of holding rates for a little while and what that's going to mean. And we're getting more numbers out on the job market and mm -hmm. all this stuff. And um, yeah, so excited to unpack some of that. Uh, but let's do want to fire off the... Uh, the new followers, because we really appreciate you guys following and listening along, and a few of you sharing us to your stories. If you're listening to this right now, if you're watching this, sharing our stuff to your stories makes a huge difference in our engagement. We see the numbers. It matters. So when you guys do that, it when you're just like in up. the car, and it fires us up, but like when you're just in the car and you throw it on or, or what have you, picture your laptop, it really means a lot. So thank you, and please continue to tag us in those. 100%. And before I say the, the new subscribers, uh, just want to talk about what we're going to be talking about today. Our yeah. main topic is how to buy a multi-unit. Yeah. Um, a lot of you guys probably already have one or are potentially looking to go from buying single families, duplexes, triplexes, and get into your first purpose-built 6, 8, 10, 12-plex. Uh, so we just want to do a high-level talk about it. If you don't follow our Patreon, it's on there, and we've talked about the website 100 times. We are working on it. My computer is really slow, and it's hard to edit a website, but I have it open, and I am slowly editing it. Uh, I'm going to get a new laptop. Recommendations for laptop, let me know. I'm not a Mac person, so... A, PC would be great. I have an XPS right now, but it's it's getting pretty soft. Yeah, the screen on it's pretty busted too. The screen I busted immediately after purchasing it. What but... are you doing with that laptop? <laughs> no. Um. Anyways, I'm gonna call these guys out right off the hop. So our new five: Mitchell Fong, Mitchell, AD, just just AD, nothing else. I don't even know how they got that handle, but okay. You Eggers. Uh, okay. <laughs> Jay Tustin. 597 and Reed Britnell. Britnell. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Appreciate all of you. Uh, there's some sus. There's some sus handles in there. Yeah, we'll skip over those. <laughs> skip over a couple of those. But those are our, our new five. Um, before we get into this, we have I have some headlines here that I want to get your opinion okay. on. Yep. What's going on? How is how has last two weeks been? You went to TO, you were balling out. I saw you walking down on the court, you were slapping yeah. high fives with all the Raptors, and then you shook hands with Drake. It was looked pretty sick. Actually, so it was a really it was a really fun trip. I went up there with a couple buddies, and one of them, uh, his dad's a lawyer whose partner is, uh, I think, the CEO of like a really, really major real estate. Oh yeah, company. it was. It's crazy. I did a quick search of them, and they own a hundred buildings in Hamilton, not like in <laughs> Toronto, not like across Ontario, but just in Hamilton. So they like own all of Hamilton, which was funny because I dated a girl from Hamilton, and this guy knew. My ex-girlfriend's dad and <laughs> had some pretty hilarious stories <laughs> about uh, that guy. 
Um, <laughs> but we went out to this restaurant called Harbor 60. Okay. I um, been which people from Toronto will know it's kind of a ballin' restaurant. It was ridiculous. Had a steak. So this was a <laughs> 55 ounce Wagyu tomahawk steak. 55, 55 ounce? ounce. It's meant to be shared from the table. And honestly, okay. you know me. Oh, so I like my steaks. Yeah, yeah. And I order them big. Um, this was probably more like a 35 ounce steak with a, a 20 ounce bone. But okay. how much do you think it was? Uh, I probably overhyped it now, so you're going to go with some crazy number. It's got to be over a thousand bucks. No, no, it's not that. Really? Not Under $20 no. an ounce? Uh, it was 455 bucks. Oh, that's a good deal. That's a good deal. It's a good deal. <laughs> I guess it's like seven little steaks. Yeah, man. I had Wagyu in Vegas, and it was like a, I think a 12 ounce, and it was like 750 bucks. Jeez. I didn't. Somebody at my table did, but yeah. I had a little piece of it, but. <laughs> <laughs> a little sliver. Please, yeah. can I have some more? But, That'll be 50 bucks yeah. for that mouthful. Yeah. No, that seems like a decent deal. That is, that is expensive, and it is mind-blowing to think that you can spend that much on a single... And you probably... You had to buy all your sides Then separately. you had to buy your sides separately. You that did sides. not come with uh, garlic mash <laughs> and a veggie medley, if you were wondering. Yeah. Uh, you had to buy those separately, but it was really great. Um, yeah, so cruising around Toronto, man, it's... Uh, the six. Was it all the hype? Did it feel great? Did the real estate feel bussing? Were you like... No. Did you come back? Did you want to get like a curly hair doing some Yeezys, or what, where, where are you sitting now? Um... <laughs> I was going to do a Toronto accent there, and I'm so glad I stopped myself from trying. Um, I don't love Toronto. No disrespect Uh-oh. to our, our Toronto uh, listeners out there. And why is that? Um, I don't know. Maybe it's because I haven't found my niche in the neighborhood or wherever. Like, we were in a great location. It just all felt feels a little bit sad there. <laughs> like, there's just so much of everything. And what I found really interesting is that so many of the buildings are just run down to crap. And like all these little shops are in these buildings and I know they're all waiting to eventually tear down the whole street, but man, the whole city looks like they're all just waiting to tear down <laughs> the street because it's either brand new, yeah, stunning, or just like Shitbox. the number of pigeons going in and out of these stores. <laughs> it's crazy. Like there's just you mean, open... You mean actual pigeons for those that are listening? Yeah, that's not a metaphor. I mean, okay, the, I'm just the, throwing... The I'm just checking. Rats. Just checking. <laughs> like, yeah, and I'm just thinking about the buildings I own and how, you know, if there's something wrong, I'm just like, oh, I need to get this fixed, right? All this doesn't look great. And these just like have open air holes in through <laughs> the soffits. And On one note, not to go back to this, but they have a lot of tenancy rules and rent controls. And this was yeah. the same in Vancouver. I don't know if you remember when we did the pod after I got back from Vancouver and I was yeah. like, it's a condo building worth a trillion dollars next to an apartment building that's dilapidated, just yeah. run down to shit. Railings are rusted off. There's holes. There's yeah, all man. these pigeons, literal bird pigeons, flying in and out of the buildings. I think that feeds into it. I got to ask, did you see any cool cars? Was there a car you saw? And you're like, holy shit. Man, I will say that, um, you know, I'm not a big car guy. You know this. Yes. But there was a lot of G-Wagons there. Everyone, there's like, they're like RAV4s in, in Toronto. Yeah, yeah. So um, that was the one thing that, that stood out. I mean, there were, there were nice cars, but there was nothing too crazy. Okay. Uh, but just a lot of G-Wagons, really nice ones cruising around. Standard commuter um, vehicle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it was good, man. It was good. Okay, interesting. Oh, I uh, watched some Raptors games. Yeah, yeah, that would be sick. I, I don't think I've been to a Raptors game. That would be super fun. Yeah, And you were time. sitting real close to the court, which is badass. Yeah, yeah. And my buddy Matt, he knows all of like the refs in Canada because he's a big ref. And so he happened to know the scorekeeper. That was working oh, the game, so we were actually down behind the scorekeeper. and you click a button? Uh, the boys literally pressed the horn. Oh, like, that's uh, sick. Uh, yeah. That'd um, be super fun. 
Yeah, yeah, it was good. It was good. So um, you were away as well. BC? I went further west. Yeah, so I flew into Calgary and I, Jesus, drove into BC. Uh, I was in Revelstoke. For anyone who is big into snow skiing, mountain biking, outdoor sports, uh, Revelstoke is kind of a hype ass spot, and it used to be kind of like a secret, like super narrow spot. As time's gone on, it's become very popular. But I went there to snowmobile, and unreal. Like the weirdest thing for me was Halifax has no snow. Landing in Calgary, I kind of expected it being out west, cold, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. They'd have a ton of snow. It looked the same as Halifax. When I got Man. off the airplane, I was like... Toronto was like plus nine. We were walking around every single day. Yeah. It's it February. Was, it was strange. It was I don't know what's going on. Same in you Calgary. You love Fresh Pow Pow more than any East Indian person I've ever met <laughs> in my entire life. So many people. So if you follow me, I posted a bunch of stories of just like the snow and like the mountains and then like me ripping in the sleds and stuff. Yeah. So many people responded and were like, this is so out of character. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, you're not, you're not designed or cut out to be out there. Oh, no. Good for um, you, man. It looked, it looked fun for sure. I, I don't know. It's just, yeah, it's super fun. Uh, sledding out there is like something else. If you, if any of you have snowmobiled, if you haven't done like crazy amounts of powder, like you usually are driving the snowmobile and that much snow, you're literally surfing the machine. Like you're, because the snow is yeah, like four yeah. feet deep. So you literally start up, you rev up on top of the snow and you're just pin throttle and you just lean. Like you don't do anything with the steering. You just lean, like push your feet down mm-hmm. and the sled like carves and turns. It's kind of like riding a snowboard, but it's, like a 500-pound mm. machine. So, anyways, super cool. Enjoyed it. Um, real estate out there is popping, like everywhere else. Specifically, though, um, well, you stopped by Alberta on your way, mm-hmm. and I've got some stats about how strong Alberta is relative mm-hmm. to the rest of the country, and also just how skewed these numbers that you keep hearing are, but we're going to get to that in a bit here. Oh, yeah. And uh, in, in Calgary, it was popping off. There's stuff being built everywhere. Uh, there's office towers being converted into condos and and then obviously within the mountain towns again many of you know but mountain towns are disgustingly expensive mm-hmm. um like millions and millions and millions of dollars i think the cheapest house in whistler is like two million dollars um and so revelstoke is kind of becoming the same thing they had some townhouses there brand new build for like 700k um it's not bad actually no on the mountain though like to get a lot for a home on the ski hill started at around a million bucks for the lot yeah, but what was kind of cool is they came with a helicopter pad. That's also pad awesome. ready. Pad literally pad, pad ready. ready. They come with a house oh. pad and in the backyard a helicopter pad. And I was like, I had to ask the, our guy, I was like, what the hell are people doing with this? Because I was like, are they flying from Calgary to Revelstoke? He said a bit of that, but the weather's so bad. It's more so for people who heli ski. He said, yeah, it's gonna say it'd be for them to go up to the hill. Yeah, yeah, it's for them to rip up to the top of the mountain. I was like, that's actually sick. Imagine getting up in the morning and like just. Walking or out your back door and hopping in the helicopter and off you go to go skiing. Like, that's some gangster If there's a shit. smart company there that would have, like, get it written into the covenants that they have to use these particular helicopters if you want third party flying in, flying out. Yeah, yeah. And be a company that would just crush it on that. But yeah. Cool. Um, well, that's all very exciting. That's our travels. That's why we uh, we missed a week, but glad to be back at it. And uh, yeah. No yeah. place I'd rather be. I'd rather be here than on a mountain. But truly, <laughs> truly. Um, I do have. Uh, a little admission of something that I was wrong on. Um, mm. So you may remember at the end of last year, we did some takes like what we thought was going to be hot and what was going to be not uh, for this year. I had it in my head that there would be stripes some... Stripes were going to be super hot? Wow. Horizontal <laughs> <laughs> stripes, I went, I went with it. Um, the, I, I had this, I, this thought that there could be some good deals out there on small single family homes yep. and that maybe that would be a nice little pickup because 
you know, you get them vacant, they're easy to finance, they appreciate really well and all these things. Duplex conversions. Duplex conversions, all, all of these reasons. Uh, unfortunately, because of what's happened with the increased rates, it's driven so much competition into the lower price points mm. that in fact, mm. those small little affordable homes are, are the hardest part of the market right now. Yeah. They are on fire. Like I'm talking stuff sub 400. It is nuts out there under 400,000. You just sold one under 400. How did that go? How many offers? How many showings? I think we had 22 offers on about 73 showings. Oh, no. Yeah. You were priced a little soft, but I wouldn't say that soft. Well, you know what was Especially funny? Is I, I, I said to this guy, and, and he's a, a good friend and, and a client, and um, I said, listen... I don't know really what this home is worth mm. because we had it on the market in, I want to say four years ago and we kind of stumbled and started, we had an accepted offer. It didn't go through. Interestingly, one of the people that offered on this was the person who backed out of our deal four years ago, this old guy. He backed oh, out no way. He came back around. He came back around and he, he offered, <clears throat> I mean, probably $90,000 more than he offered four years ago and still was not close to getting it. Um, <laughs> But I basically said, listen, this is where we were at before. Let's tack on 30% to our asking price and just see, right? Because, you know, okay. four years ago, we're conservatively up 30%. Yep. Oh, even yeah. with what we gave back last year. And um, yeah, it went it went crazy, man. How far over crazy. ask did you go? Well, we're not firm yet, but but significantly. I don't, okay. I don't think we had a single offer under the asking price or even at the asking price when we had 22 offers. Wow. Yeah. And I had one in Clayton Park that was at $399. It was the same. I think we had 16 offers. Um, there was a place over in Dartmouth that was 350 for a semi that had 18 last count. Um, so that it's really under 400, but even I would say under 450, incredibly, incredibly competitive right now. Okay. Now I'm going to bring this up then because this is one of the things I want to talk about, but yeah, I agree with you on the price point, but then you look at a place like San Francisco, which has been hot for the last 50 years, pretty much since the first piece of technology came out, um, through the pandemic, they were hot for the most part. Office was taking a beat down, but now their housing's taking a beat down, and they've lost 42% of the gains that they experienced over the last three years in oh, the really? last six months. So they've, they've all lost 42% of the gains in the last three years, in the last six months. They've That's not that <laughs> far out of line with, say, like Toronto and things like that, if you go from the absolute peak. Because Canada is down now from its absolute peak. Uh, I think I've got it here, and we'll, we'll bust into it here in a second, but. I think Canada, from its absolute peak, which is a year ago, is down about 18%. So why do you think, like, what's what's the differentiator between cities? And I was thinking about this. It's like how you always talk about how countries compete for people. On a more micro scale, cities within their countries are going to have to fight for people too. And is, is it, like, well, what... Is it just affordability? Because, like, or what, what's so, going on there? Uh, so so there, there's a couple things that I think are going on. Uh, one... California is having this little exodus, and there's all kinds of reasons, environmental, mm -hmm. taxation. Mm -hmm. The tech sector is also aggressively relocating to Texas, yeah, right? East. So yep. all of these things are happening simultaneous, and that's obviously going to have some downward pressure. What's interesting about numbers, too, is realize, like, what I just said was the predominant, the, the, the houses that are doing best... Mm -hmm are the, the lower end stuff. Yeah. So when you get a sample of 100 homes that sell, you are not taking a full cross-section across all price points, really. No. The stuff that's moving more right now is the lower end stuff. So 
that's playing into it to some degree. So cities that are made up on average of more lower end stuff are most likely to do better. Most likely. Um, Even here in our local market, like what's going on is the stuff that's, I think if we were to really get into the nuance of it, I'd say everything under 550, very, very busy. Everything probably like above nine is still pretty strong because people, the 550 and below are the people who used to be able to get approved for 625 and 650 and 700, whatever it was. Now they can't. So they're being forced downward. And the people that are have budgets over 900 grand in our local market, and this, this price point would be different in other markets, in our local market, they don't care about the interest rate. Mm. They're pretty well off. A few points here and there mm-hmm. isn't going to change their planning. No. Right? So what's kind of getting hurt the most and what seems to be slowest in our market is like that six to eight. Six to eight right in there because they're people who are maybe, you know, a bit more price sensitive and rate sensitive than people nine and above. Um, and there's less of them now because they, a lot of them got squeezed down maybe into the six range. Um, yeah, they lost things 100 got grand off their approvals. Yeah. So I, I, yeah, I get that part. I guess my thing is like, why did this shit not happen in the past? Because, and you know, when I talk to my older, um, we'll say more experienced <laughs> investors uh, and clients and friends, one thing that had always been harping to me is like, go where people make their money, go where people need to work. And that's where it's a great place to invest. And that was always true. Downtowns were always where people went to work, right? You have all of the jobs there and you had high paying jobs. And on average, the real estate around there appreciated the fastest, was worth the most. Um, In cities as a whole, that's where people go to work. And so it's worth more versus being out in the countryside where there's maybe still people, lots of people working out there, but not as high uh, a density. Um, But now it's like, we have an influx of people here. I wouldn't say that we're having an influx of jobs to match that uh, that number of people. The one, the migration east in the states definitely sounds more uh, uh, more supported because, like, Texas is having an oil boom. Technology companies are setting up in Texas. They're setting up in the Carolinas. They're setting up in Florida. I guess I don't know. I'm just like, what's, uh, what's go changed? where the taxes are lowest. Yeah, well, see, but here we have high taxes. And so I'm like, is it the fact that we can now remotely work? Ooh, I got tons of good stuff on on that as well. Um, So I I do really feel that increasingly it's a tax-related issue, and I don't think that bodes well for us here in in Nova Scotia. But it's not a coincidence that places like Texas, Florida, and Alberta are doing best in these times and, Mm -hmm. and have a lot of companies moving there. I think that's just common sense. And if you look at environments where maybe people start looking at their bottom line more closely and mm-hmm. you can point directly to after-tax dollars. If we, we can shave 5% off by making this move. And if you're dealing with $20 million, that's a million bucks in your pocket every yeah. year. Right? It, it kind of goes without saying. And, and mm-hmm. I think that's going to continue to be uh, a motivator. With this re- work from remote thing, I got to bring this up because I, I want to make sure I get the stat right. But I, for some reason, I got a lot of joy out of this. I'm still convinced VR is going to really push this thing. So we talked about the great resignation. Like people who've been listening to this for a while, we talked about the great resignation. People are quitting their jobs saying, no, you know, life's too short. I want a different job. I'm going to pivot, (laughs) blah, 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 blah. A study came out and they said the great resignation is now the great regret. Because (laughs) listen to this, man. Listen to this. 80% of job hoppers wish they hadn't quit their old jobs. And that members of Generation Z are the most regretful. Wow. Yeah. 80% 80% of the people that left for greener pastures are now saying, ah, that probably wasn't the right move. Now, why? probably that 80%, why? probably 75% of them went into real estate. So that's a big <laughs> reason. Um, 
75% of the world's bottle girls quit their job and got their real estate license. Wow. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Some of you are going to feel targeted. <laughs> and I'm okay with that. I'm okay with it. Um, so, and another thing that I, does, I found... Does it say why? Um, kind like of is, the, is it an income thing? No, it's not an income thing. thing? That that's actually was really interesting <clears throat> because more often than not, they were leaving for more income. What they realized is that in hindsight, what they valued more was contentment. They missed their coworkers. And in a lot of cases, they had actually switched fields to some degree and they missed their old field. Um, so it... And people who study Have ice in your veins make the money. But well, people who study you know worker um, contentment satisfaction, yeah. satisfaction know that wage actually isn't as high up there on that list as you might think. Yeah, I believe some that. people are money motivated, but not everyone. Other things like autonomy, workplace culture, um, all that plays into it more. But think of this, and I know you're a bit more arm's length now. But how many properties? that were bought during COVID, came back up for sale, and you call the agent and go, what's the story here? Because my client's going to ask, and they say, they got offered a job back home. A ton. I'm, already, I'm seeing so many of them. It's, it's insanity. Yeah, so I have clients who just bought a place, and the same deal. People came out from Ontario. Uh, they were here. They were excited about it. Then their old employer was like, hey, will you come back for this amount more? And they're like, you know what? I kind of missed it anyway. Yeah, so back, does, back they go. So, so, okay, so you're saying all this. Now, does that mean that that great exodus and great regrets going to result in places like Toronto, California, like Seattle, like well, Seattle's been fine the whole time, but pop them back again. Yeah, are they going to show strong? Are they going to come through and be like, this is going to be like the, the like it's like an old wives' tale. Of like we always yeah. said, this is the best location. And I know there's blips and there's ups and downs, but at the end of the day, these big city cores and like mm. these big booming centers always win. And so you have these small wins outside of it temporarily, but realistically, they're always going to go back to that. I was thinking, I was thinking about that, and I'm like, like in places like like lo- locally here, I'm like. I know we don't have that high ratio of Airbnbs, the, but if all the Airbnbs come back on, people start moving away. I think the difference start is having a turn I, the market. I, th- I think the difference is, say, say someone that moved out east from Alberta or BC or Ontario, mm-hmm. their employer was still sitting there in that city. They just moved out here for a different company. In most cases, mm-hmm. their employer never left. Mm-hmm. In the case of say San Francisco, if the employer leaves, that's a different story. It's a different story. Because you're not going back to what you knew before. You're, you'd be going back to the city you knew before, but with a different employer. So when the employers start to move, that means something. So you're telling um, me that all of my experience, aka old investors, telling me to go where the work is. But the work has moved to these other states. Exactly. Yeah, like, so, so, so that's what you um, need to be following. And so mean, it's, not, it's not as much an affordability issue. That's, I guess I that's what I'm trying to get at, because so. we always talk about how like... That's our big sell. But what's it's, like, it, but, but, it's affordable out here to come out here and buy a house. But it has to be affordable for the employers too. Yeah. So, right? t- so taxes in, in, attracts the employers and the employers attract the people. Yeah. And if you um, have good jobs, all of a sudden your life gets a little bit more affordable. And what's interesting is places that are affordable for companies to work tend to also be affordable for the individuals to work because... Surprise Alberta is not a bigger boom town. It's pretty big. Alberta it's, it's big. Good runs. Yeah, Calgary. I mean, you know, Calgary's big, but I'm surprised it's not like huge. Because they have a lot of industry, man. Yeah. Like they have a ton of industry, and then they're close to the mountains. So there's a lot of lifestyle there, too. Yeah. They have a little professional chilly. sports teams. Yes. It, like, I mean, it was the same. I mean, what's Calgary? Uh, the third biggest city in the country? I know. So, I mean, it's pretty big. I guess. I guess. I feel like I'm more like I like Calgary more than Toronto. Mm. I think. Yeah. Yeah, I do. Cause I might, in, too. 
I don't know. I've got another one, though, because it's in the same vein. And this, interestingly, I came across this completely separate. I wasn't searching down something, but um, almost the same percentage, like a huge percentage of remote workers are headed back to the office and or, or substituting their home office for cafes and pub workspaces because they're finding it too expensive to work from home. Whoa, 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 we walk. What the hell are they doing at home? Uber eating Starbucks in the morning? Like, what the hell? Heating costs. What? Were they not heating their houses before? Man, it's cheaper to take a pack of lunch and go to work or whatever. Wait, wait, what? Yeah, they say they're spending too much on heat being at home and they'd rather be at the office. Because they're heat. What? Yeah. They said it's more expensive to work from home. That must have been one person in the survey. I was just like... Well, I think there's also probably a lot of... I definitely think there's like loneliness maybe or like... There'd be loneliness. Yeah, you missed missed that like the... And like for cooperative projects, like it's a lot easier when you're at the office because in two seconds you can just be like, yo. A lot of employers are also calling you back in, you know, and Mm -hmm. I know it sounds funny, but... Do you think office is going to come back with a vengeance because they're converting all these office towers into residential? Do you think office is going to come back with a vengeance? I know there's a few developers, some of the... the, old experienced investors that I keep talking about that are building offices here. Which I, is funny because we have massive vacancy. And I'm I like, think offices what? will come back a little bit, for sure. Because they're all going to get ripped. Do you know how much it costs to change the toner in your printer? Oh, dude. I just buy a new printer every time. Which I know <laughs> is stupid because <laughs> the cartridges that come in the printer are like 20% full. But literally every time I'm like holding the thing and it's like 80 bucks for the thing for the c- cartridge and the printer's like 89.97 and I'm like... That's amazing. Well, I just buy a whole new printer. <laughs> This guy. How many? How, calm, Follow how many, us for more really good financial <laughs> advice. How many people have 36 printers sitting around? I'm telling you right now, it's going to be a bunch of people. It's going to be a bunch of people. Oh I have printers God. all over my house. It's messed. And then they finally made like the EcoFill refillable one, but it's a pain in the ass. Yeah. I just don't. I, realistically, I don't print that much shit anymore. I usually yeah. I go to the Remax office late at night and I print all of our stuff. That's how Chandler and I met office. really. It's like Saturday at like 6 p.m. I roll up. I'm like, who's this person that's at the office? I thought I'm the only idiot here. He spooked me. Chandler's in there buried in paperwork printing yeah. away yeah but i mean we, we say that in, in joseph's kind of funny but like you are at home um you know you are probably spending a bit more money on groceries which are not Snacks. cheap you're, you're heating your place you're maybe finding you're not quite as as efficient maybe you are doing things like you know using your printer more etc cetera, etc cetera. so then people are going into restaurants and cafes and pubs and sitting there because and that costs a bunch of money well but it, you save on heat perhaps and things like that um <laughs> and then you get back to the office, but also I think there's a lot of employers who are probably like, all right, it's time to come back now. Get a blanket. Wear a blanket while you're working. Come well, that on. may also be some of the people moving back. It's like, yeah, I can work remote, like remote work and I think it's live gonna be in Nova mix. Scotia. I think, I think like, that you know, is it's not that life. fun. I think that's the best life is the mix where you're like three, four days in the office and you kind of pick and choose. You can take days off when you need to or like work from home certain days just for deliveries or random appointments and shit. Like, I think that actually is, is the best yeah, hybrid. flexible work yep. hybrid. 100%, um, man. I think so, too. Because yeah, the five days in where you're just stuck at your desk like a labor camp is no fun. Um, what are you going to say? You got something to say? You're going to yell at me. Well, I, I, I've got a few other news things I wanted to get into. Yep. Um, and it's... Uh, so, we talked about this and my concern about um, inflation stickiness. Right, that we're mm-hmm. we did all these things, we jacked the rates, and we're trying to push the inflation down. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Bank of Canada, kind of in line with other central banks, said we're going to take a break now. Mm-hmm. We're going to see how this works. And I don't know. Still, the labor markets are super strong. 
wages are going up. Um, the economy's still kind of humming along. And the numbers that came out of the states were not great. Inflation was isn't going down at the same rate it was before. Job market strong. Same thing as here. And so now there's been this concern that this pause won't be a pause for very long. And then, in fact, uh, rates may go up again. Like, rates have already started to go back up in the states again. Um, and Bank of Canada said, well, we do kind of reserve the right to raise them again if we think it's not heading in the right direction. They do reserve the right to bend us at any moment, and they have. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I debate my life every single day on where everything's going, as I'm sure you are aware, and I'm sure most of the listeners are well aware of. I, I'm The biggest thing, I think one of the biggest things that drives our economy is real estate in Canada and pretty mm -hmm. much in North America. And we are in an absolute shortage, so prices are continuing to go. And even though rates went up and a bunch of projects got paused, guess what? That didn't take away all the people that needed places to live. And so it actually ended up putting more upwards pressure on the real estate market, which we're now mm -hmm. experiencing. Mm -hmm. And so it's going to cause a big jump in demand again. I was having that moment today and I'm like, shit, I should probably pre-order a bunch of materials and stuff because I have a feeling that it's going to go up a bunch and our manufacturing sector hasn't really grown. It kind of brings me back to the thing I was saying before that I think one of the best ways that we're going to tackle this inflation and really a lot of the issues that we face is we need to manufacture in North America. Kind of what Trump has been screaming about when you came in. Honestly, oh honestly. Oh my gosh, man. It's honestly, been a little while since, since we I've... got a Trump <laughs> reference. I'm happy about that, Neil. <laughs> I'm just saying that the, like, they can raise interest rates a ton, but if people still need to buy shit, it's like we said, like they're going to keep buying the houses. We still need cars. We still need food. And if you've injected an extra 500,000 people into the country and then done nothing else, like, is it not, is that like the experience? So I'm like, I know, man, I two, hear you like two things have to you're either gonna, like it's either going to start doing a ton of manufacturing locally, which I thought was really interesting. I was in a meeting. This is an aside. I was in a meeting last week and it was one of these importers and we import everything from China. Pretty much all products come from China. And he said um, blinds, which would make sense. Like it's a plastic based product, small bit of technology and the little lifters um, to most people that probably seem like the perfect thing to manufacture in China and it'd be expensive here. He priced it out and he said, it's actually cheaper for me to make blinds in Canada. So he's opening a blinds factory here. And I was talking hmm. to somebody else the other day uh, about another... Because shipping's so high right now. Well, but shipping's down now. And he said he can still manufacture locally for cheaper because hmm. now in China, the cost of, of like labor and things have shot up a lot. There's, there's, like, there's a lot of growth taking place there. And so it's no longer super affordable to do it. And with demand and everything, they've brought their prices up. Mm -hmm. And so he's like, you know what? I can actually manufacture here more reliably, quicker. I can get it out quicker and the, the quality is better, all these things for less. Um, and so I'm mm -hmm. like, oh, that's an interesting change of pace. And I think I think that's going to be really important to see. But like I said, the, the two things I was getting at are we either need to start manufacturing here or they're going to cut immigration. Yeah. And, and we, oh gosh, we've talked a lot about that. And I hear you. It's it's a double-edged sword and we're trying to play both sides of it and it's just backfiring. Like the situation is probably getting worse. And I always have this little nagging thing in, you know, my yeah. spine when the market starts to really bubble again. It's like, okay, if the market's bubbling though, inflation can't be going down. It just can't be, right? But this is also, this is my last thing that I want to get into, my little list of things I wanted to talk about here is, and I said this before, only pay attention to the news that is relevant to your area. So yeah. 
we have this obsession as a country with, first of all, with Toronto. I know it's just there. Um, NBC, but especially when it comes to real estate. So I'm just going to fire some things at you. Uh, this are year over year. So mm-hmm. there's also, and Andrew Stevens made this great point, so true. You're going to hear all of this bad news that's year over year, year over year. Oh my gosh, year over year, we're down. It's because this time last year, the wheels were run off the bus. We like were things the were going we'd crazy. Ever been. We were, it was it was yeah. it was crazy. Yeah. It was full craziness. So everything by comparison is going to look wow, like oh my gosh, we're so down. So all these year over year numbers are coming out based on, you know, January of last year. Okay. But nationally prices year over year are down, you know, just over 18%. Um, <laughs> that's pretty aggressive. It's pretty aggressive. Here are the the that's highlights. Huge. <laughs> yeah, that's huge. In Ontario, all of Ontario is down 20%, 20.1%. 20. Okay. okay. Which tells you Toronto's down more than that because yep. Toronto drives that bus. Yeah. BC is down 16.6%. But I'm going to throw some things at you. Okay. Year over year, PEI is up 3.9%. Lego PEI. Newfoundland is up 4.3%. That probably was one or two house sales. Nova Scotia was only down 3%. Okay. Uh, which I can tell you means Halifax is up. Yep. And Alberta was only down 4.9%, with Calgary is up by over 6% year rear. So stop looking at the headline, which is Canadian prices are down 18.3% year over year, and realize that in your particular area, that may not be the case. And what your home prices are doing month over month actually might be quite different, right? Because we here have been really solidly, like since Q4 of last year, we've been maintaining. Like, so we've reached a point that's pretty solid here. And if you take out those outliers, to again, to repeat that, Canada's down 18.3% with Ontario down 20 and BC down 16 and a half. You take out those two outliers, the rest of the country is yes, down, but kind of moderately. And in most cases, it's in the peripheral areas. We kind of talked about that. I think we expected this too, to be honest. It just skews the numbers and, and no one pays attention to that. People are like, well, I hear houses in, in Canada are down 18%, so I should be able to get this home for discounts. Like, no, here last week, 45% of homes in Halifax sold over ask at an average of 101.5% of asking price. Yeah. So all the thing, the one thing I want people to take away from that is Look at your micro market, wherever that may be, and see what's going on there. But here, you know, we're down a little bit year over year, but not much. And in places like Calgary, they're up. Newfoundland, up. PEI, up. So. Yeah, no, I see. And think of how contrary that is to what you're hearing out there. No, that's true. Right? You're hearing that, oh my gosh, the sky is falling. Um, So my hope is that actually BC and Ontario takes the butt kicking. That allows, whoa, whoa, whoa. I, I am like that allows, um, essentially that, that they alone manage to slow down inflation and keep rates low. Because let's be honest, Bank of Canada does not care about us, our market here. They're looking at these oh, bigger markets. Don't say that. They care about everybody. They do not because <sighs> the market is skewed towards those areas. That's why they, they, disrupt our, our average numbers. Our number looks ridiculous when you say, oh my gosh, the country's down 18.5% and have most you, countries, are, or most provinces are barely down at all. Have you taken any more time to consider some of my international monetary policy considerations with the rate movements? And oh, that like they're not paying attention theory? to any of this? Yes. 
Any um, more thought on that, or do you do you do you like do you think the bank can is looking at us, or they're looking out at the rest of the world? I mean, obviously the central banks move in unison. Um, I'm maybe not as cynical as you are, but I do think currency <sighs> wars are real. Set you straight. Um, like you're saying that we're, we're doing this to kind of contract money supply to keep our to currency defend our value. currency. Yeah. Um, I think Play there the is definitely game. something there because remember we had a segment on this where like China and Russia were trying to come together and effectively form their own currency. Still on it. Um, and it's weird that that's getting no traction both in the markets but also in the news it's cycle. Just a bunch of fucking hot air balloons um, that they keep popping out of the sky. That's all it's getting traction. It's like, hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's something there for sure that we are trying to. Um, but what then would be your explanation of why they printed so much money for a while? To try and keep the economies alive, because if your economy's dead, okay, no, so you feel that issue. was g- like genuine expansionary monetary policy. Yes. Okay. This contraction, though, you think is more sinister. I don't know that it's sinister. I just don't know that it's like it has to do with what we think it has to do with. Like I think we're looking at it from a perspective of people who are borrowing money to buy real estate and to live. And I don't like. Yeah, we're like, oh shit! Like they're trying to rein this market in or whatever it is. And I don't think they're. It has to do with that. Because, and like this is again on another note, it's like the concept of the problem that we're facing is now money's expensive, so nobody's building, and now it's making the problem worse. And ultimately, it's going to make the problem worse because now if they lower the rates, it's going to go nuts. And even mm-hmm. if they keep the yeah. rates here, it's going to go nuts. So it's like I don't know that it really has to do with this. I think it's got something else. If this we're just a byproduct of them, like we're something that's heavily tied to it. It's like oil prices moving up and down, gas prices moving up and down. The airline industry is not like. They're doing this to f- screw us over. It's like, no, it's a byproduct of the fact that like the average consumer is using a bunch or we're, well, really it's a byproduct that we're not producing enough or we can't mm-hmm. get our hands on enough of it. It's not because they're trying to reduce the amount of people like doing air travel. I have an interesting kind of theory that I was thinking about the other day that the go. only real reason they have this foreign buyer ban on right now is because they know prices are going to be low and they don't want foreign buyers buying up at a discount. Oh... Interesting. Yeah. Which is in line to some degree with your point about how this is, you know, global economics and competitiveness and, um, yeah. But it's not really for the good it's of you and I. also if our currency gets devalued, it's going to be very easy for them to come in and scoop stuff up. So Especially if it's Even cheap. though it might not, yeah, if it might be cheaper, like as a $100,000 Canadian, it might also be like 80 grand in price. But additionally, a Canadian dollar might be weaker Exactly. And so for them, instead of it being 80, it's going to be like 40 or like whatever it may be. Yeah. Which allows them to come on and, and take control of our market. Yeah. So that feeds into my conspiracy. It is the Finally same. feeding into my conspiracies. This only took a year and a half, two years of recording. I have turned them into a conspiracy. Well, it's also, conspiracy it just shows how complicated this stuff gets where like one thing, like you could make the same argument is this is also why we're trying to, um, we're trying to suck their human capital away. Right? Like, we are trying to take people who are young, have families, and are employed in, you know, desirable sectors, and we're trying to make them come over here and, and be Canadians. Um, you know, there is, it's, it's a cultural war meets people war meets currency war. Like, it's... We need a Toronto, and, because for a lot of these people, they're coming from big cities in other countries, and Toronto's the only place that can really give them that fire. Mm. No. Anyway, anyway, yeah, interesting. Well, do you have any other news topics? Yeah, here I did some we news topics. Into... I just we just went down a really interesting path in my head. Um, 
Hey, thanks for listening to this point. Reminder, please, if you're listening to this somewhere that you can share it online, we really, really appreciate that. Don't forget to like, follow, subscribe, add your comments down below. Uh, second half of this episode, Neil's got some news headlines. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, women owning more real estate than men. That's super cool. And some other topics. Then we're going to go into our main discussion point, which is about buying your first multi-unit property. So keep listening. You probably saw this article. Actually, I think I might send it to you. Uh, or maybe we may have posted it in our story. But what are your thoughts on this? More single women own homes mm-hmm. than single men in 48 out of 50 states. And, yeah. and listen, considering the fact that on average, women earn only 83% as much as men do. Man, who commented on this and they said, yeah, it's because of divorce, the woman gets the house. <laughs> No, where was it? Uh, was it on one of our that. posts? Someone commented on that. our post. I can't remember, but um, oh I mean, <laughs> you like that one, eh? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised in a lot of ways because I don't have any data on this, but a lot of women I know seem to be a little bit more fiscally conservative and and are better savers, quite frankly. Um, more financially educated. Um. Perhaps, or at least more, um, I don't know. I know less women that buy dumb shit than guys and ruin their credit in university because they took a credit card that they got in the res. Is <laughs> like, this the time to attack me, Chandler? Uh, no, but <laughs> um, like I've known some guys who have like still have bruised credit because literally they signed up for a credit card while walking through Loyola at St. Mary's because there was a kiosk there. And someone's like, you want a credit card? And they're like, yeah, I do. Yeah, but they probably had cupcakes, box of cookies, or like a free gym pass or something. Totally, totally worth it. it. Yeah, teacher. Um, you know, and that bruised their credit well <laughs> into their life. Why can't I buy a house? Because I got a free box of cookies in the back of Superstore signing up for a PC card. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what to attribute that to, but I think it's great. I mean, you and I are both big advocates of um, property ownership and what it can do for people's lives. Yep. Um, I don't know if we want to get into any sort of conversation about wage or wealth disparity between genders or anything like that, but... Um, I think it can only be good for people to own more real estate. Yeah. Actually, it surprised me. I will say, well, you probably agree with this, but in the average residential transaction for a couple, the female is more likely the decision maker than the male? In a lot of cases. Yeah. <laughs> They're steering the ship a little bit. Um, I agree with you. I think I think it is more, more like fiscal responsibility that you see within females that allows that to take place. There's probably also a thing in here like, more single men own motorcycles, dirt bikes, ATVs, boats, yeah. and lifted trucks. Stupid and in shit. 50 out of 50 states. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Dumb stuff. <laughs> That's vehicles. factual. Yeah. I know that for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I interesting. I thought that was, I, it's impressive when you think about it, when they're making less money. I also think it shows for a lot of people that you don't necessarily need to be making a bunch of money uh, or you don't always, like, if there's, I think, a lot of people who are like, oh, I don't have the opportunity to buy. I don't have the opportunity to buy. Or I can't buy. I can't do it alone. Da, da, da. I think this kind of shows that there's an opportunity to do that. I think also, like, statatistically, there are, um, oh, we are playing with fire here. Is no, this No, we're, we're, we're really touching them. Yeah. Um, women tend to be in more secure jobs than men do. Uh, more Ooh. men are, are either self-employed or commissioned-based, and it is harder to get financing. Interesting. That's statistically true. No one get angry in the comments. Get angry in the comments. Attack Chandler. Um, I think it's worth it. So, but there's some pros and cons with that. Like, it's hard to get a mortgage if you're, like, how many dudes do you know? They're like, oh, yeah, I run my own thing. But, like, it's all good. I don't pay myself any money. uh, So my girlfriend's going to co-sign. 
right? Like, oh yeah, she has a, you know, stable job with a salary. You're selling, you know, whatever <laughs> on the side. And even if you're making great money, the bank doesn't know about it. So there's those elements of it also. Do all the dudes talk like that? Uh, I mean, all your friends. <laughs> <laughs> I do know some people. I've sold some homes to some couples where the, your girlfriend's the one actually buying the house. Yeah. Um, yeah, interesting. I feel okay. like you were trying to trap me there. I was trying to trap you, and all I got was you offending a bunch of dudes. Um, so our entire audience. I'll take it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, last headline I want to hit you with, and uh, this one was actually this was a feel good one, I think. But I feel like some people are gonna be like, nah. And it's at Vancouver does a grant every year for a few million bucks that goes towards nonprofits that handle street cleaning in the city of Vancouver, but done by the homeless. So effectively, they're paying homeless people to do the street cleaning in the city. This year, they're operating it from 2.1 million to 2.5 million. It was 1.9 or 1.6 pre-pandemic, so it's gone up a fair bit in the last year. Um, and they're tasked with removing bags of garbage, needles, and feces. So last year in 2022, they removed 34,000 bags of garbage, 110,000 needles, and it just said 21,000 feces. So I'm, <laughs> I'm just gonna, I added in ad lib 21,000 bags of feces. Yeah. Um, so or do they count by the individual piece well, of feces? So part of me was like, man, these these, these homeless guys are probably taking. Oh, was here a deer? <laughs> Fifty pieces of feces here. Well, if you bag, they probably like chop up. You could just, anyways, I don't know how much they're paying them. So, but. At first, I was like, this is a good idea. And then as I started to think about it more, especially on the feces topic, I was like, this kind of sucks. And I feel like it's kind of shitty, pun intended, that they're... <laughs> that that they're a massive <laughs> outbreak of pink eye among the homeless population. <laughs> but... That they... That they <laughs> but the, I, I just don't know that they should be getting homeless people to do this. But even though I guess probably a lot of the stuff that they're picking up is from homeless people, or maybe it's just maybe it's more incentivized that home they're asking homeless people to bring their garbage in, or something. I I don't know what the idea is because part of me is like, man, this should be a job. Like if you go to jail, like if you're in jail, like mm. I always felt that if you're in jail, you should be doing something for the community, yeah, the or the economy, cleaning up the highways, and you don't really get a benefit for it because you've lost that privilege, and so now you have to go out and do stuff that people don't really want to do. Um, and so for me, it's something like this would be that, but I understand that like the, the logistics of it is very difficult mm -hmm, because mm -hmm, people mm -hmm. end up like whatever, getting away or whatever. But I, I don't know. Like what's, what's your take on it? You're like, this is a great program. Apparently every year it goes through like unanimous vote. They always approve it. They drop the money out. There's a couple nonprofits running it. Uh, it's been a great success. But again, as I was saying, like just think about it, like, man, you're homeless and you're like, oh, well, the only thing the city's doing for me is that if I pick up my shit and bring it in, I'll get like 20 bucks. And it's like. Yeah, I mean, I would, I'd be curious, like, are they getting paid by the weight? <laughs> like, honestly, like, I don't know how you'd I, really track this. Just like slick it, slick it on a lead bar on the inside. <laughs> yeah. Um, just following a great Dane around for a couple <laughs> days, make some bucks. Um, I think, listen, um, I think. Good idea or bad idea? I think it's a good idea. Yeah? Yeah. What's, you know, cleaning up the city. Like think of what the budget is for street clean, street sweeping, and all that stuff. Anyway, they don't have that, so they use all their money towards us. I, I mean, I, I think it's good. Yeah. 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 
I'm not sure how I feel about this whole line of questioning. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just, okay. Yeah, I, it just part of me is just a little tripped out because I'm like, I don't know. Yeah, it seems like a sad situation where it's like, all right, we'll pay you guys if you do this. And it's like, oh man, that literally sounds like the worst job. And you've got me picking up used needles and feces. Yes. Like, it seems not safe. Mm-hmm. Um, so while I appreciate <clears throat> the potential uh, earnings, earnings like, you guys are like you're setting me, me up for like... Maybe a little infection. <laughs> um, I might need some antibiotics when I drop these bags off. <laughs> so keep, I don't, keep, I don't know change, about it. Some antibiotics. Um, like, Let's yeah, <laughs> I'm not sure how I feel about that. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure. You see what I'm saying? Next question. Okay. All right. Fine. I just, I would love to hear what someone else thinks because it, it, I, at first I was like, yeah, and then I was like, oh, wait a second, this sounds like oh, I was gonna say shit, but like this sounds bad. I just. I'm not. I'm not super keen on it. Yeah. So let's change gears here from uh, that. Uh, I'm going to go to our, our key player of the week. Yeah. Before we hop into our topic, our key player of the week this week is Scott Lynn. You know. Yeah. Art dealership. I was just messing with you, but yeah. Uh, CEO of Masterworks. Masterworks is a like you were saying, an art dealer. But in a sense, it's not more an art dealer. It's an art investor. And what they do is they will buy pieces of art by crowdfunding through their platform online. So it allows everybody the opportunity to buy in on these pieces of art. I'm sure we've all seen a piece of art sell for $30 million and the yeah. guy bought it for $6 million. And you're like, wow, once you have money, you make money and it's this must be nice mm-hmm. to be rich. Well, guess what? They're like, let's get everybody involved on this. And that's what they've done. They've created a platform where anyone can buy in um, and they have lots of prop, uh, pieces that they've bought and sold already, made 30, 20, 30, 40% on pieces that they've flipped and they've shown that over the last 25 years contemporary art on average has appreciated at 14 percent in comparison to the s p 500 at 10 percent and mm. compared to real estate at nine percent so it's almost 50 percent well it is more than 50 percent more appreciation than real estate uh, and additionally art on average during high inflationary periods outperforms all of them oh by, it goes psycho yeah it goes absolutely yeah. psycho and so they've mm. been doing very well recently That's super cool so Scotland, he's our key player of the week. CEO, obviously, he's got a huge team behind him. Uh, he was a technology founder for a lot of years, starting another company called Payability, uh, a digital lending provider. Uh, I'm sure he's had other ones prior to that that I'm un- unaware of, but he's been at it for years and years and years. This he came out with in 2017, and it's been going amazing. So check out Masterworks, check out Scotland. I think it's a super cool idea. This crowdfunding is becoming more and more prevalent with all the technology 100%. that's out there. It even relates a little bit to these idea of NFTs that you could have this joint mm-hmm. ownership of artwork and then mm-hmm. sell it and, and so on. This is a bit more simple in that it's old school. Everyone pools their money. We own this thing. And then you'd sign off your rights effectively to have it sold as a group. But look at it almost like, I don't want to say like a, a mutual fund that everyone buys into, but it's to some degree similar to that or a REIT. Right, mm-hmm. everyone, you know, gets involved in a REIT, but you'd have more transactional, more turnover. So that's kind of cool. You know, it's kind of funny is Scott, and this is how most people get into this, was an art collector himself. And he probably was like, damn, I want that piece. Yeah. Maybe I don't have $20 million. And he's probably like, man, I know that I can sell that piece for more in the future. Exactly. And yeah. so since 2018, they've bought around 40 pieces for around $90 million, and they've got an actualized annual return of 32%. Ooh. So they are... Yeah, they're overplaying it. Yeah, uh, and they they target three to ten year holds with their pieces. They're not just buying them to hold on to them forever. They got to keep turning that cash over. Yeah, of course. Um, so, anyways, check out Masterworks. I, like I think they're cool. It's an alternative investment to real estate. But we talk about real estate, so we're going to switch gears back to real estate. And that is what we're going to talk about now: is how do you get into your first multi-unit? We're doing it at a high level. The in full explanation can be found on our Patreon, which will be turning into our website very soon. But 
at a high level, we want to just go over it because I think a lot of you guys are in that place where you're like, you know what? I did really well in the last couple of years on a few of my properties. I've done the refis. I got some cash in the accounts or I've sold a few and I got cash in my account. And I, I do want to get back into it, but I'm not interested in just buying another house. I want to buy a purpose-built building. Yes, yeah, so we're a talking a true multi. A true multi. Like commercial multi. loan, six units and above type deal. Exactly. Um, so I think the first number one, number one, number one, number one, number one thing is getting a good team around you. And that is 100%. your realtor and your mortgage broker. I think those are the number one pieces. Your realtor is going to help you find that deal. A good one's going to be able to tell you like if these numbers make sense, if it's a bad deal, what's going on there. And a mortgage broker is really going to open your eyes to what's available on the commercial side because commercial financing is totally different than residential. You're not They're showing up and doing owner-occupied 5% down. Yeah, and it's interesting. Commercial real estate, the... The, the realtor takes on a bit of a different role because as a lot of you listening would know, in some cases you're out there, you're door knocking, you're finding these opportunities yourself. The realtor becomes more engaged by giving you a bit of arm's length separation from the seller, mm-hmm. right? You're going to have to have some awkward conversations with that seller with respect to, um, you know, price reductions, environmental uh, assessments, things like that, that it's good to have someone advocating on your behalf. Why you also, need five extensions. <laughs> yeah. Also helping you, um, you know, prepare the package and go through the mortgage professional um, leases, uh, all the sort of pro formas, all these things to help you paint a picture for that mortgage professional. It is really a collaborative effort. It's not the same as like, hey, I found this house on MLS. We're going to go see it. It's a bit different. Yeah. They'll guide you to what you were just about to say. They're going to guide you with a lot of items because if you come at it from that angle on your own, a seller's not even going to take you as serious. If you're like, yeah, hey, I'd like too. to see yeah. all 12 units first, please, and send me all of the leases. And when he sends you a list of expenses, you're going to be like, oh, that's the, the appraiser didn't accept that. I need you to retype this out in Excel. He's just going to be like, go yourself. Like, yeah. there's no chance that they're doing any of that. And there's a good chance you're not going to see all the units really at any point. You may never get yep. into all of them. Um, so you kind of have to prepare yourself for that. And again, having a good agent that's comfortable and experienced with this, they can kind of give you the guidance on how to make an offer. They'll have the communication with the seller. They'll really help work your deal along. And they might have a relationship with the seller where the seller's already sold to them. And they may be able to have like a bit of comfort knowing that, okay, if it's coming from Chandler or Neil or whatever agent you're working with, yeah. they know that we're going to make sure the deal gets across the line. And when we say there's an issue with financing, that it means, okay, we need a bit more time, but it's still going to go through. Yep. Um, so th- that's why it's important to have a really, really good team. The next thing is mortgage broker. The one that sold you a few houses or did your last couple of deals isn't necessarily the one just I, i'm all about staying mm-hmm. loyal but it is a whole different animal to understand commercial and to understand the programs oh gosh, that are yeah. available and what banks will lend and on it because as much as we say well you can't do five percent down anymore there are actually some cases where you can do five percent down through cmhc programs yep longer um, ams but what do the rents have to be exactly there's yep. so many items and I'd say a mortgage worker is almost one of the most crucial aspects, like biggest parts of your success. Oh, 100%. You need to get the money. This whole process is about getting the money um, to buy the purchase of the property initially and then also an exit strategy to get out of it one day. Exactly. And so understanding that there's different mortgage brokers and different realtors for each stage of your growth, right? Yep. Like you're not going to use the same person that you bought your house with once you get to the point of buying an apartment building. Like you're well, just... you may, but they have to be a damn good mortgage <laughs> broker, right? And, yeah. you know, we've, we're fortunate to work with a couple here. You guys would have seen them on here, but 100%. Um, not all of them can do that. And honestly, not all of them want to. There'll be some smaller mortgage brokers that say, you know what, that's not my, that's not my cup of tea, right? Because they're longer, harder transactions. They have to mm-hmm. do a bit more work. They may actually not want to do it. So you want to make sure you have someone who 
really knows the ins and outs in that because their appraisal process is much more complicated. The financing is much more complicated. So you need someone who's experienced with that. Exactly. And uh, last part will be that both the realtor or the mortgage broker can have deals that come up. They just know because they're dealing them all day. Yeah. They might have one that falls apart. The next thing, and it's number two, but it's really part of number one, and that's having a plan. Like, And again, your realtor and your mortgage broker will help you get there. But that is defined by understanding kind of how much money you have available to you, understanding what your goal is. Like, if you, do you want X amount of you? Like, you need to have a multi-year plan. Like, when you started this, you said, I want to have uh, a house every year for the next 10 years, was it? At first, it was, yeah, for 10 years, and then I stopped after five because I was like, yeah. okay, I need to actually scale this up a little quicker, yeah. Exactly. So, you, you have to have some sort of, you have to have goals in place. You need to have a plan on how you're going to get there, how the money's going to come to be. Um, that is so important because otherwise, you can flail. Like, if you're like, I just want to see multi-units, you're going to be out looking to places that are 400 a door, places that are 150 a door. You're not going to know what makes any sense. Cap rates are all over the place. Like, you got to have a plan. Do you want something you're tearing bits, something that you're just investing in? Like, that's what you need to figure out as well right when you get started into doing this. Like, you shouldn't be out going to try and buy a multi if you can't make that plan and those decisions because you're going to get into it and your things are going to fall apart. Well, also, you're going to quickly get a reputation as someone that doesn't close. Right, we talked about this before. Yep. People are like, oh, how, how come they brought that to you? You know, where'd you get that opportunity? It's like, well, people now know that if I say I'm going to go through with the purchase, I go through with it because I know what the numbers are. I know what it's worth. I know what it's going to cost to do all these things. And I know I have the ability to close. Yep. If you're running around just writing offers and a lot of people out there do promote that method is like shoot first and then deal with it afterwards, you're going to burn bridges if you're in a small market. Uh, otherwise, your only alternative is to rotate to other markets because people will know that you don't close. Exactly. Right? So you have to be able to close. And the way you're going to know if you're going to be able to close is if you've run your numbers and you've got a clear plan for that project. What realistically is it going to take? Can I look past the, oh, I heard online that, you know, some properties you can do as little as 15% down if the numbers hold up. Well, newsflash in this market, none of the market, none of the numbers are going to hold up. No one's going to sell your property that can probably <laughs> finance at 15% down. So you're starting at 25% down, which in these rates right now, based on, you know, you doing your numbers on the back of your thing like, oh, I got a net operating income of this and the, at this cap rate. It's like, no, that's not how the bank's going to run it. That's mm -hmm. not how the appraiser's going to run it. What cap rate are they going to use? You need to know or have a team around you that knows so you can properly plan how much money you need to actually finance this deal and then whether or not that's worth it. 100%. I want to add to what you said about um, shooting out a bunch of offers. I get a lot of clients that ask me how I get certain deals and it's purely because I'm a closer. People message me because like, I need you to sell this. They know that I'm I'm going to either buy it myself or I'm going to bring someone to buy it. Mm -hmm. And we're going to close the deal. We're not going to waste their time because they probably like, I, they're not desperate for money. They're like, I need this money in six months. I can't run this thing on market for the next three years while people just take crap shots at me all day. Well, I think chances are they went down the rabbit hole for six weeks with someone who wasted their time. Exactly. So being a closer will actually save you money. And that doesn't mean closing on stupid deals, but that means if it's a bad deal, you look at it at a high level and you walk, you move away. Mm -hmm. You don't get so horned up that you need to get a building. You, you you stay on it. So really being a serious closer who can make deals happen will actually save you tons of money as you go on and build you a strong reputation, which like Chandler said, in a smaller market is everything. And mm -hmm. even, like, and realistically, you're on average are working within a small market. Even if you're in Toronto, you're not shopping all of Toronto. You're shopping neighborhoods. And, and the beauty very... thing is, then you get a little bit of leverage because people come to you like, listen, like, I want to sell you this building. I'm really interested in that building. But you couldn't have contacted me at a worse time. I got this going on. I got that going on. Mm -hmm. I'll buy it, but I need these terms. Yep. Right? They would rather give you beneficial terms than someone else they don't know. Um, you know, other terms that might be simpler for them, but they don't know if it's going to close. Exactly. 
the next step, and this is when we do say, I think you shoot a little bit from the hip, but you don't, you try and get into as many viewings as you can. If they're on market, go see them. If you hear about them, go see them because it's good to get an understanding of what's on the market. Again, not expecting that you're going to go see every unit in 12 unit building, but go see the exterior, go see one or two units, understand the numbers um, and request numbers on lots of buildings. Like you need to educate yourself. So start seeing as many as you can, start seeing as, as much as you can for numbers. But again, not thinking that you're going to get like some perfectly laid out uh, Excel spreadsheet that fits on like a website every time. It's going to be a mix. Mm -hmm. You have to work with that, but you want to see as much of it as you can because that's the only way you're going to educate yourself to understand because even if you don't buy it or don't think the deal is good, when you do see it sell, you're like, okay, like I remember what the numbers were there. That sold for this. I a lot of times do that and I'll pass up on stuff and I'll see it sell and I'm like, what is their play? And mm -hmm. so then I'll try and keep an eye on what's going on with the building. I'll drive yep. by and see because I'm like, are they run away? Because there's no money left in it. Like, yeah, why yeah. would they be doing that? Um, and so sometimes I've been surprised, but then I've also learned some crazy stuff because here, unfortunately, and I think in a lot of places, you can look up their mortgage details. And so you can almost kind of paint a picture because you can see sometimes what they did, how they did their construction financing, mm -hmm. what bank did it. And also you can then sometimes see if you wait long enough, you'll see their takeout. And you're like, wait a second, how the hell did they get a takeout like that? That's honestly how I yeah, learned yeah. a lot of it. I would just call the banks that I would see on those slips and be like, what's the play here? And if you hopefully you get someone that's nice enough that'll tell you, maybe give you an appraiser contact, that kind of thing. So anyways, that's, that's a good little tip. That is some pretty secret sauce. You get a lot of that on the Patreon. Very true. Um, but that would be the next step. Obviously, the final step is then I think writing an offer. Once you've seen lots, you've educated yourself, your team around you supporting you, you know you you know, you know your numbers, you're in a place to go ahead and make the buy then you can start shooting offers out. Again, even if you're super educated and the deal seems great, <clears throat> do everything you can to get every condition in there, environmental, inspection, financing, because there's so many different items that you need to deal with. And l some of them can screw you down the line. My very first buy, I was so horny to buy a multi-unit. I didn't put Enviro clauses in, and I ended up finishing the buildings, going to get the refinance. They asked for an Enviro. I failed. And I ended up having to tear out the basement units, dig out the bottoms of the of the, <laughs> of the buildings, Take out the dirt, replace them. Not that put long it back. ago. Not that long ago. I'm just now getting my refi after two years of messing around. Um, so, and I was fortunate that it was just the dirt. It can get into your water streams and all mm -hmm. sorts of other issues. Um, so, understanding that is is so important. So, again, at that point, go through the deal. I don't know if there's any major tips. Like again, the specific details we really get into on the Patreon, really running through numbers we get into on the Patreon, but. Here, I don't know if there's any more major details you'd give someone. I think, you know, if you're debating sometimes if you want to sell some properties and start to clean up to go towards something like that, I don't think that's a bad idea. Well, <laughs> because it becomes a management issue, in my opinion. Yeah. A lot of people are debating, like, oh, what do I do? I have like four houses now, four duplexes, I got a bunch of equity. And I'm like, well, yeah, you know, you have $150,000 tied up in each of those. Maybe you do sell them. Um, yeah. I always tell people if you can skip the queue and get more doors quicker, always do that. Right. So more doors under <clears> one roof is better. You want your door to roof ratio to be as high as possible. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like that's just simple ease of management, but also literal cost of maintenance yep. um, and the roofs that have to be fixed each time. So if you can skip the queue to get there, uh, it's definitely worthwhile doing. Um, the other thing to sort of keep in mind with this stuff as well is you know, you need to educate yourself. And again, a lot, we go into this on the Patreon about the financing options, the VTBs, the promissory notes, <clears throat> all of those things, private lending, um, because most of these deals right now, they don't hold water on their own. Mm -hmm. um, you have to do something creative, usually with the seller's help on the financing. And the more you can educate yourself on that, the more you have a team around you. Again, this is where the realtor can sell that to the seller and build that relationship and explain why. 
um, you're going to have more success. But if you can't go there confidently with that plan, the person's you're, it's, they're not going to feel good about the transaction. Uh, transaction. They're not going to think you're going to close. Or even if they do give you a VTB, they're not going to have the confidence that you're going to be able to pay them back. Yep. Right? So um, we get into that again all on the Patreon. But that really high level is sort of how you take it next level from the small scale, you know, multi-unit residential to true uh, multi-unit, six units and above commercial financing. Exactly. Really, to boil it down, it's your team around you. We can all find yep. all those things. It's your team around you. And one thing to consider make sure the people around you have actually done it. My good old line of you can't learn how to buy a Rolls Royce from someone who doesn't have a Rolls Royce, that, yeah. again, it's not specifically that, but it, it, it's the main concept of it's hard to learn how to do something or be taught by somebody who hasn't actually done what they're preaching. Yeah, but what if I write <coughs> multi-unit <coughs> specialist on my business card? That also counts. So you can use that person. That, that person's that's, good too. Yeah, that person's good. Do you want to make sure their business card and their email signature is on fleek? And if it is, you're good to go. Yeah. Cool. Listen, guys, thanks as always for listening. Sorry we took a week off. We missed you. Hope you missed us back. Like, follow, subscribe. Thanks for listening. See ya. Thanks so much for watching the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, press like. Don't forget to subscribe. But also check us out on Instagram and TikTok. You can find all the links below. Thanks again for checking us out.